Yeah, so I am the preacher for today. So Matt, Matt asked me to come and, and speak, and I was also asked to speak at a college conference uh, next week. And so I told Matt, I'm like, oh yeah, I can, I can do that, and then also another, another message and stuff like that. And then it came to this week, and I was talking with my brother and sister-in-law, and they were just like, call an audible. Like, just, just feel like, I, why not just do what the Bills didn't do, call an audible on defense, make the right play, and talk about what you're going to talk about at the conference here. So you guys are kind of my test subjects to see how that goes. So at the conference, I was given the task of talking about God's grace, right? And so that is both the easiest and the most difficult topic to talk about, right? Because God's grace is everywhere from Genesis all the way to Revelation, God's grace is on every page of the Bible, right? And so it's easy because it's like, okay, you can talk about grace. Then I'm like, it's difficult because how, how do you talk about God's grace in a 30-minute time, time slot? And so what, what I want to do today for, for all of us is to, to grow our affection for God by highlighting his grace, right? That the grace is one of the most important things that we can glean from scripture. And so to first begin, we need to understand what grace is, right? Grace is kind of a buzzword in church, right? And so we, we need to know what grace is. And so there's many definitions of, of grace that, that people have. Most common is undeserved favor or unmerited kindness, unwarranted goodness, un unconditional love, all these types of things. Most, it's interesting, most people in giving a definition on grace use two words, and in our relationship to God, it's first unmerited or undeserved, realizing our position, right? It's, it's unmerited for us. And then the second, second, second kind of, second word that's used to describe that is what God does to us, right? It's his kindness to us, it's his favor to us. And so there were a couple couple quotes that I came along um, about, about grace. The first one is by um, J. Gresham Machen, I think his name is, and it talks about that the core and the center of the Bible is the doctrine of God. It says the very center and core of the whole Bible is the doctrine of the grace of God, right? And so he understands that grace is a mega theme throughout all of scripture, right? Like if you had to summarize all of scripture, all of the Bible in one word could be grace, right? Grace is prevalent. The second quote that it came across was one by a guy named Michael Horton, <clears throat> and he is a professor at Westminster Theological Seminary, and he said this. I don't know if we have the quote. Here we go. Yeah, grace is fundamentally a word about God. His uncoerced initiative and per pervasive extravagant demonstrations of care and favor, right? And so he focuses on, it's first and foremost, a word about God. Grace tells us something about who God is, right? And so that's, it's important for us to, to understand grace in the lens of who God is, because in order to, to receive that and to be distributors of this, we first and foremost need to understand who God is. How is God gracious to us? And what does that look like um, for me that it will motivate me 
to do something, right? And so my hopes for this whole message today is something specific. I want to talk to you that God is the manufacturer of all grace. And through, through the salvation of sinners, he magnifies his grace to the highest degree. And as a result, we are his recipients and distributors of grace. Another way you could, could put it is that whatever God does is a demonstration of his grace highlighted in the salvation of his people. And we are to embody this and we are to live this out. Still yet another way you could, you could put it is that God acts graciously to us. God acts graciously to all people and he highlights this through the magnification of saving of sinners, saving of those people who don't deserve it. And we are to receive this and we are to be distributors of this. And so the question then comes, how, how has God been gracious to us? How has he shown his grace to us? And so theologians have kind of coined a term called common grace, right? It's, it's universal. This is something that, that happens to both the believer and the non-believer. It's common. That's why it's common to everyone. They call it common grace, right? And so common grace is the idea that God has commonly graced us with what we need and who he is, right? And so we see this in creation, that, that God had created this universe and this, this planet and this earth in such a way that just demonstrates his beauty, right? Like, I, I was thinking, I'm like, if I was God, I probably would have just made maybe this earth. And you, you, you have the place of where your people dwell, but yet God demonstrates his beauty and his grace to us that he creates the cosmos, he creates the universe, he creates millions and millions of planets and stars for us to just look up and see like, wow, like this God is demonstrating his grace to us in, in this beauty. And even, even with us here today, right? Like I am no artist. And so the one thing I can draw would be like a mean stick figure, right? And so I, I, I could, if I was God, everybody would probably look like the same stick figures, right? Like you would have the, the guys with the spiky hair and then the women with the, the swoosh hair, but that would be about the extent of my creativity in that, right? But God creates us all uniquely and different that we can be like, wow, like that is, that's awesome to see that there's such beauty in what God has, has done, right? But it's not just that. God is the giver of life, right? God allows us to, to live. He allows us to breathe. He allows us to have things that we need, like rain to fall for crops to, to grow, that we can have food, right? Like this is God's common grace to us. But even a step further, we can see this in just who we are as people, right? Like we can look at ourselves and we can be creative and we can think creatively. If you want to, to hear kind of what that looks like, I was, I was listening to a pianist who just super great piano player. Um, his name is Ludovico Inaldi or something like that. He's an Italian performer. And just, just listening to his music, you can just see like, wow, like this is God's creativity working in us, right? Like somebody had the ability 
to create a piano. And from that piano comes different scales and notes. And from that, he can play different notes at the right time where it's just like, this is, this is great. Like, I can, I can hear creativity um, in that. God also gave us not only just creativity as, as humans, right? He also gave us a mind to, to reason, right? And so we can understand the old adage, you shouldn't eat yellow snow, right? Just because maybe you, you didn't see what happened, but we can say, okay, I know that snow is usually white, and I know that dogs usually pass on the sidewalk, and so I know dogs usually do their business along that way, and so, okay, I probably shouldn't eat yellow snow, right? That we're able to reason and to think and being like, okay, I, I should do this, and I shouldn't do that, all because of what God has given us, that God is able to demonstrate his grace to all of us in, in a way that makes us look and be like, wow, like, this, is, this is great. God's, God's beauty is on display. God allows us to, to see this and to do these things in order to praise him. But I also said in, in the kind of summary quote of what I want to talk about, about today is that his grace is highlighted most clearly the biggest demonstration through the salvation of sinners, right? That nothing else that, that God has done shows a bigger demonstration of his grace than this, the saving of sinners, right? That's the chief goal in salvation is to demonstrate his grace to us. And so you might be thinking, okay, what, what, is that, what does that look like? What, is that, what does that mean? How, how can I see God doing doing that. And so I think it's helpful to, to look at it from our perspective, right? And so sometimes if you're driving around Buffalo or driving wherever you might find yourself, you might drive along the side of the road and see a homeless man, right? And so you want to, inwardly, you want to help him. And so maybe you give him some money. Maybe you go and buy him some food, right? You want to help him out because he seems down. Or maybe you're, you're watching on TV and different commercials come up um, about a certain charity, right? And that maybe it's a hospital that you can give to and, and help children who are in need or people who are suffering from cancer, what, whatever it, it may be, right? And so we're, we want to, to give and, and help those people. But what if I were to tell you to give your money to Russia, give your money to ISIS, give your money to, to somebody like that, and I know that's, that's a bold claim, but I think in understanding that, we can understand the grace of God, right? Because as it talks about in other passages of scripture, who we are before God, right? It talks about that we are separated from God, we are alienated from God. It talks about later in Ephesians 2 that we are following the prince and power of the air. So we are on Satan's team, right? Some people might think that might be rooting for the chiefs because Satan's probably on the, on the chief's side. Um, but we are on, on, on Satan's side. Also in, in Romans 5, it, it talks about that we are enemies before God. Same, same idea of enemies that we have nowadays or enemies all throughout the course of history. We are God's enemies. 
right? And so those people who you would think they don't deserve me giving money, they don't deserve my time, right? Like that is God's grace to us on display. We don't deserve his grace. We don't deserve it. We have rejected him. We have played for the other team. We have been his enemies. We have not wanted to submit to who God is, right? And so in understanding that, we can see the value and the glorious truth of his grace towards us, that, that God will go farther than, ever, than we can think to save his people, right? He will demonstrate his grace, even to his enemies, even to people who have opposed him, who have shown him nothing but the, the, their hands and said, I don't want you, but God demonstrates his grace even still, that, that God is the source of it, that God is the one pursuing and God is the one manufacturing this grace that he says, I choose to love you, right? And so as we turn our attention to, to scripture, I want us to, to look at Ephesians chapter one. Uh, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter one, verses three through 14 today. Um, and so beginning verse three, it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. In him, we obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you were also... In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of the inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Right? And so in this first couple verses, we see Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. Right? And so Paul is opening up this letter to the Ephesians, and the first thing he wants to do is to tell us about what God has done for us. That is the, the foundation for, for Paul's praise. That is the foundation for Paul's joy. That's the foundation for, for who, who he is telling the Ephesians about. That this God is great and glorious because of what he's done. And in, this, in, this couple, in these couple verses here, we see the, the Trinity on display. We, we see right, the Father... We see the Son, we see the Holy Spirit, right? Each with their own distinctive responsibilities in, in the plan of salvation, but each accomplishing that. And so what do we see first? In verses 4 and 5, we see the Father 
on display. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, we should be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, right? And so we see the father, first and foremost, he's, he is the one who, who chooses. He is the one who predestines us. And what, this is what um, theologians refer to as electing grace. Like God is electing. God is, God is choosing to display his grace on these people, right? And so what does this electing grace, what does this choosing of God to these people tell us? I think it, it tells us a couple things. One, I think it tells us the love of the Father, right? It says, in love, he predestined us. It's, it's a gracious love that he has for his people, that it is, I want to display my grace. I want to display my love. I want to display my mercy on somebody who doesn't deserve it, on somebody who is an enemy of mine. I want to display my grace in their life. But it goes on to say further that it's not just the love of the Father that we see here, but secondly, it's, it's identity. It, it, it gives us a sense of, of who we are, that it's a choosing that we would be holy and blameless before him, right? And so it's giving us in our very nature who, who, we, who we are transformed into, right? We are to be, we are holy and blameless, that, that God looks and sees that we would be, we are enemies, we are separated, we are alienated from God, but he wants to display that grace to us by allowing us to partake um, in walking with him through holiness and blameless, blamelessness. And finally, we, we see a great picture of this in what, what, what he calls the adoption. He says, adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Right? This, this idea of adoption is just one of the greatest pictures of grace that you, you could imagine. Right? I, I know a family, um, I spent time with, with them in Costa Rica. They were leaders of mine but then they had went back to the States and they had always had on their heart to adopt. They had four biological kids, but they always had on their heart to adopt. And by God's grace, they were able to reach out to a, an adoption agency and find a child in Latvia. Now, when they flew down there and they talked with this kid, this kid on all the, the world's expectations he was broken. He, he came from a family who absolutely deserted him by the age of, I think it was 10 or 11. He was living on his own. He was w without a home. He was living on the streets, trying to do anything that he could to, to survive, right? He was brutally beaten by, by family members that, that knew him at the time, that um, he didn't ever have a home. He didn't have a place to stay, right? But this family says, you know what, I, I want to adopt you. I, I want you to join my family. Not, not, not because of anything that you've done. They, know, they knew full well that it was going to be an ordeal. I'm, uh, they, they, they shared stories with me of just how difficult that was, how, how difficult it was to, to bring somebody from another country into, into your home. They knew that, but they still, I want, I want to play 
God's grace, from what, what God has done in, in through me, is, is a picture of the grace that God gives us. And so this is the electing grace of God, that, that God desires to say, you know what, I choose, I choose you. I, I want to display my, my grace in your life. But it's not just that. We see following verses that it's the father, but then also the son's responsibility. The, the son in verse seven is said to, in him we have redemption through his blood. It's the redemption is a term in which would refer to of slavery, right? That there would be a slave and you would purchase them who they were. You would redeem them and bring them to you. And so God is electing us through the Father, but he is purchasing this specifically through Jesus. And it says through his blood, right? Like grace, God could have, when he created the earth and, and done everything, he could have just said, you know what? These people sinned against me. I'm going to erase this world. I'm going to start a new one. But this grace as to why it, it demonstrates to the utmost who God is is because it came with a cost. It came with a cost to demonstrate his saving grace to his people because it cost him his life. Je Jesus had to come onto this earth to, to say, you know what? This God-sized payment that you have, right? The sin that I have in my life, that one sin removes me from fellowship with, with the Father, right? But it's not just one sin that, that I do in life. It's continuous sin, right? It's, it's sin that can't be, can't be counted, right? And in, in one of the parables Jesus talks about, it's, it's a sin that would cost thousands and thousands of lifetimes to ever try and pay back, right? But it's not just my sin. It's, it's the sin of everybody. It's the sin of all people. Uh, in which it's like, okay, this is a God-sized payment. This is something that no, no man, no woman can pay. It's, it's a God-sized payment. And so for a God-sized payment, it deserves a God-sized sacrifice, that Jesus had to come to this earth, put on flesh so that he would say, you know what? These people aren't deserving. These people uh, have chosen actively to reject me. But I'm going to demonstrate my grace. I'm going to lavish my grace, as Paul says, several times that um, I love how he says that it's a lavishing, it's, it's, it's great love, it's, it's this great mercy, that it's a continuous, ever-flowing uh, grace that he has for us. It's not just, okay, you know what, like this is enough, but it's like, I want to abundantly give you grace, and that is what Jesus does for us. And so what does this redeeming grace do for us? What, is, what does this redeeming grace mean? It says, in him we have redemption through his blood. One of the things that I think is, is very interesting is just the way that these words are used. In him we have. It's something that we have. For all those who are in Christ Jesus, we have redemption. That means past. That means present. That means future sins. All have been redeemed by the blood of God. That this is such a sweet truth that we have been redeemed, the forgiveness of our trespasses, right? No longer carrying the weight of our sin, no longer carrying the guilt or the shame that we have for X, Y, Z, but we have been forgiven. 
what also this redeeming grace shows us, like I said, is, is that it's in him. Verses 3 through 14, several times is talk about in Christ, in the beloved, in Jesus. All these things, all these great blessings come to us because of Christ, because of what Christ has done, that we have been brought into union with Christ, that we can receive this redeeming grace towards us. And so the Father elects, the Son redeems, and then in verses 13 we see the Spirit. It says, In him you also, when you heard the, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of him. And so the role of, of the Spirit in salvation in demonstrating his grace to us is to seal what, what what we have now is a promise for the future right this is i've heard many examples of of this and i don't maybe know how relevant it is after the uh the market crash in, in 08 but they would always say that it is a representation of a down payment right that the holy spirit is a down payment guaranteeing what you have is, as that's what a down payment's supposed to be, right? As, as you put a down payment on a house, it's supposed to guarantee that you will purchase it, you will um, put money to it to fully pay off the loan, right? But this is a guarantee. This is a 100% take it to the bank that this is what the Spirit's role in salvation is, that he is solidifying, he is guaranteeing this right now for us that there will be a great hope in the future, that, that what we cannot see right now will be brought to fruition, right? And so this, all of these three tell us the abundance of grace that God has for us, that the Father elects and the Father chooses to, to say, you are mine. The Son purchases and redeems and, and says, yes, you are mine because of my blood. From what I have done, I have purchased you, and there's nothing that, that can take it away. And the Holy Spirit says, exactly, I, I have captured this. I have guaranteed this, that I am going to bring you to, to be with me forever. Right? You see God's grace on display. But also, if, if you're a careful reader um, in, in just this passage, what, what we also see Three times, three specific times, the same, very similar phrase. It says in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. We see that also show up in verses 12, where it says, to the praise of his glory. And finally, in verses 14, to the praise of his glory. Right after each kind of section talking about this is what the Father has done to the praise of his glorious grace. To the, this is what the Son has done, to the praise of his glory. This is what the Holy Spirit has done for us, to the praise of his glory. Right, we, we see that, and I find it interesting that, that the first time it's mentioned, it says, to the praise of his glorious grace. Paul wants us to, us to know that all of this comes through the grace of God, that what, what the Father, what the Son, what the Spirit has done is all about grace. If you understand grace, you understand the heartbeat of God. And so 
God is, is demonstrating himself that, that he is the manufacturer. He is the author. He is the supplier of grace to us. And that our responsibility is to praise, right? We see in these couple verses here that our responsibility is to praise this God. That when you begin to see and just contemplate what, what God has done for you, it, it should cause your heart affections to, to grow and be like, wow, like, this is the God that has done this for me. Like, I am undeserving. I, I don't deserve life. I don't deserve new life. But this is what God has done for me. It, it should cause our hearts to praise. It should cause a transformation in us. And so maybe today that that's what we need to hear. Maybe today some of us sitting in here just need to just think on that. What, what, what has God done for us in salvation? Maybe read this over again and see just the, the great glorious grace of what God has done for us. But even still, then, then the question then becomes, okay, so what? So, so what does that mean for me today? What does that mean for me tomorrow, Monday morning, right? It's, it's interesting because as you kind of fast forward a little bit into Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Right, and so as you understand Paul's letters, Paul usually has the first half of his letters um, talking about this is what God has done for you. These are the great truths of what God has done. Now you are to live like this, right? And so we, ha we have that here. The first three chapters in Ephesians tells us all about what God has done, right? God has saved us in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They have worked together to provide a salvation. Talks later on about what, what the, how that looks like in, in forming one new people for God. Um, and then it, it says, I therefore, beginning in verse, in, in chapter four. And whenever we see a therefore, we need to ask, okay, what is it there for? And so it's there because all of what Paul just said in, in chapters one, two, and three, right? That because of this great love for which God has loved us, because of this grace, our lives should look different, right? He says, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then throughout chapter four, five, and six, Paul gives many different examples of, of what that looks like, of pursuing peace, of pursuing unity, of using your spiritual gifts, of um, putting on the whole armor of God, that all throughout these chapters, it's because God is so gracious and he has transformed your life, you ought to walk in a new way, right? And so I, I think of it like, like this. I was thinking of, of two kind of analogies. The, the grace of God is, is like the garden, right? The, the garden that we have and then sprouts up every great and glorious thing that, that God has given us, right? And so in the, the garden of God's grace comes forth peace. In the garden of God's grace comes forth joy and comes, comes forth unity, right? God is, is the giver of all this, and this is his garden in which through grace we are able to experience peace 
peace with God first and foremost, but then peace amongst brothers and sisters, right? We are able to experience this, this joy that we have first and foremost in recognizing what God has done, but then also in what that looks like for us. I was also thinking because of my experience with, with Uber, I'm like, okay, that, this could be an interesting analogy. Maybe it's just for us Uber drivers, but I was also thinking that, that grace is the Uber that drives and drops off peace and love and joy and all these fruits of the Spirit that we have, right? That grace is the vehicle in which provides all of these other great blessings for us, as, as it talks about in the, in the first verse of, of Ephesians that we read, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing. And so because of this grace that, that God has, has shown to us, it, it should change how we are to behave. It should, it should change the way in which we pray, right? Even as I was praying and, and thinking through this message and, and, and this talk, I was just like, every prayer that we pray is a prayer for God's grace, is a pray, prayer for God to do something gracious to us, right? So as I was praying, I'm like, God, I need understanding. God, give me your grace in understanding so that I can understand the text. God, give me your grace in clarity so that I can speak clearly. God, give me your grace in this so that that can be done, right? Everything is a gift from God. It all begins with God's grace. And so what does that mean for us today? So maybe some of us in here have never experienced this personal relationship, this personal grace, this, this special grace given to us, right? We've maybe experienced the, the common grace of, of having a mind to think and reason and to be creative, but we've maybe never experienced the, the grace of God in salvation for us. And so I would recommend talking with, with Pastor Matt, with, with Pat, uh, talking with myself, talking with somebody in order to, to just see the, the great display of God's grace. This is just one, one section in, in Scripture that talks about God's grace and what he's done for us. But like I said, grace fills from Genesis all the way to Revelation that God is on mission to demonstrate his grace to us. And so if you've never experienced this grace, I, I would ask, I would implore you to, to think about that, to think about how has God been gracious to me that I truly am an undeserving person, that God owes me nothing, that oftentimes we think, okay, I've, I've done this, that God must give me something back. I've gone to church, I've, I've done this. God owes me, right? God doesn't owe anybody anything. God is gracious and, and he gives, gives life and he gives opportunities to, to listen to the gospel and so, if you've never experienced this grace, I would ask um, you maybe talk with a pastor, talk with somebody um, to, to experience that grace. Or maybe that you have experienced that grace, and maybe what you just need to do today is just praise God for it. Well, you just, well, through singing, through driving home, through just thinking at your house, just being like, man, like, God is incredibly gracious to me. God, what, what God has done for me changes everything like if if what the bible says is true and, and we believe that it is we believe that it's the foundation for life that this radically ch changes everything that the grace of god is the most important thing 
for me to know. And so what the Father, what the Son, what the Spirit has done, that that should just cause my heart to praise, to thank God and being like, this is the God who has done this for me. Or maybe um, for some of us, we need to understand how this grace, what, what God has done for us, allows uh, how, and how it allows us to, to live our lives as believers. And it may be in our workplace, maybe in uh, the street that we live in, maybe in our families. How, do, how does this grace allow us to pursue peace with one another, to pursue unity, to pursue joy? How, how does this grace allow us to work in a church, to, to have our, our giftings, to have our, our spiritual giftings in which we're, we're able to build up the body? And so I would ask you, think about what that looks like. Through, through song, as we're about to sing, as I close this in prayer, think about what that looks like for us. What does God's grace mean for you? So let us pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for, for who you are and just how great you are, that you are the manufacturer of all grace. God, that every good and perfect thing comes from above. It comes from, from you. God, it's to you that we owe praise and honor and glory, God. And so I pray just through, through looking at your word today that you can cause us to, to grow in understanding of who you are, to see and behold your beauty and salvation. That salvation is the greatest demonstration, the greatest declaration of your grace to us. God, and so I pray that we can understand and grow in, in this grace so that we may become recipients. We may become distributors of this grace to the world around us. God, I pray all this in Jesus' name.